like the mosquito in the nudist colony um I, I don't really know where to begin dang well how about we begin with this let's talk about some variants because that sounds like what is happening with the world today you know remember yeah. remember when our portfolios would tank every time a new variant came out oh yeah oh yeah i remember <laughs> yeah one day we're all just gonna morph into member berries Hey, remember when inflation would come out and our portfolios would tank? Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, it's it's been interesting these past few weeks. And, you know, as after the, the Omicron variant came out and just seeing how the markets have been reacting to that. I think one thing that's kind of came up that's been really interesting is recently in an article in Barron's, there was an article about how luxury goods are have been skyrocketing or the, I guess, the purchase of luxury goods have been skyrocketing since the pandemic. And it's interesting to see some of these, these different market trends appear as the pandemic has been happening. I don't know. What, what do you think about some of this stuff, Nick? Well, did you read that? So you read the same Barron's article? Because I think I read that too. It was about the LVMH CEO, Bernard Arnault. Yeah. It's crazy how even though we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're seeing kind of these huge fluctuations in wealth, um, obviously you're, you're having like these really uber rich billionaires like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. Um, you're seeing some really high growth there, um, but those are high tech. They're kind of newer technology, but there's other areas of the the market that I think open up uh, really great opportunities for growth. Um, this this Barron's article really kind of highlights that, um, you know, with the luxury goods market, you know, uh, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy. Uh, so... LVM is pretty much a, a conglomerate, essentially. The article said it has 75 houses, quote unquote houses. And each of those houses are essentially a brand, um, a, a high luxury good brand. Um, and right. yeah, I, and it's, it's anywhere from, from what I understand, it's anywhere, anywhere from handbags and, you know, high end luxury, um, like clothing, like Dior, or Louis Vuitton, it, it goes all the way down to tag hewer watches. They also have um, uh, champagne. So I think Dom Perignon, uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but you know, really expensive champagne, that also falls under their umbrella. So they're, they're pretty diversified among different luxury items. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it was interesting that like, since, you know, um, you know, the pandemic and just even just over the past 12 months, um, 
LBM age has has grown and uh, it's going about forty percent um, over that stock, time. Yeah, stock has gone up about forty percent. Yeah, in twelve months, which is kind of ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Well, I I think I'm sure some of that was driven by the resurgence wave. You know, when stocks were recovering from uh, the the initial sell off from the pandemic, but yeah, I mean. Well, we both read the article. So you read the fact that for a hot minute, the CEO, Bernard Arnault, um, was slightly wealthier than Jeff Bezos. He was, for, for a very brief period of time, was the wealthiest man in the world. Yeah, which is which is insane. And it, it, it gets me back to another point that the article mentions, where even though we're, we're obviously in a pandemic and people, at least some people, have really been struggling I, I don't think that I think there is some bit of a silver lining to all of this. And essentially what that that lining is, is that although there have been hard times, global financial wealth has increased by over 8.3 percent in 2020 um, to a record of 250 trillion dollars. So that was that was actually in a, um, Boston. a global wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Global wealth report. That was Boston Consulting Group, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so that's insane. Um, obviously, we're seeing in just the U.S. alone, we're seeing housing prices skyrocket. So even just middle class folks have have kind of somehow been able to come into some windfalls as they're selling their homes. Like our friend Thomas was telling me the other day, his cousin um, was able to sell off his home and make a pretty good profit and move to a, a more affluent area. So. Um, even though there are some, there have been a lot of hard times for folks during this this pandemic. There have been a lot of opportunities for growth and wealth. Just the housing market is one of those areas of the market where you have seen growth. Obviously, I think that's going to probably start to die out a little bit as you know we're hearing a lot about inflation going up more and as. Inflation goes up. I think people might be focusing more on kind of like the core goods that they need instead of trying to look for homes. But that's just my theory. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that, Nick? Where do you think market trends and, you know, well, I, uh, th- I think inflation, you know, it's funny. Um, people always rag on the Fed or people like to rag on the Fed. And they, you know, the Fed doesn't know what they're doing. They're printing all this money. And granted, I kind of agree with some of that. Yeah, in the long run, it could be really detrimental to the economy and to people, you know, on the receiving end years from now. But let's face it. I mean, the the Fed has numerous PhDs working for them, people with degrees in hard sciences like, you know, mathematics and stuff. The Fed is not stupid. I mean, they don't have stupid people working for them. And generally, I side with what the Fed is telling me. So when... When Jerome Powell was saying, you know, last year, okay, inflation is transitory and was explaining that COVID caused these supply chain issues that would, you know, eventually be alleviated just through the reopening of businesses and and of commerce. I kind of agreed with him. I said, of course, it's transitory. That makes so much sense. And it's actually interesting to see that in the past few Fed notes from their meetings that they've kind of uh, gone back on that stance and have said, you know, they kind of, they've, they've stopped using that language of it being transitory, AKA meaning it's temporary. So even the fed who I usually think, okay, they, they should know what the hell they're doing. 
even they've kind of come to say that they don't know if inf- how long inflation's here to stay, but it is definitely not as transitory or temporary as they thought initially. Um, and it makes me start to wonder, well, what does that mean for us and where we should put our, our money? Um, I don't love crypto, but guess what? I'm probably going to buy some Bitcoin soon and incrementally just own fractional Bitcoin because, you know, do I agree with it fundamentally? No. But do I think it could be a good inflation hedge? Maybe. I don't know. I think it's worth taking a little bit of risk and, and throwing some money towards that. It's definitely not a recommendation. I'm just telling people what I'm doing. I am definitely thinking about shifting some of my portfolio not my trading portfolio, but my investments uh, towards defensive stocks by either buying like a defensive sector ETF or just buying, you know, names like Kroger or Walmart or Dollar Tree. These are names that were not hit as hard. And some of them prospered actually during the 2008 financial crisis, I remember. So the inflation issue has me thinking about where do I want to park my money to not be at risk? And I, but the risk of doing that, of course, is, well, <laughs> what if inflation passes quickly and then, you know, I'm out of all the stocks that could have benefited? I, I guess I'm less worried about missing out on the upside at this point. And I'm more I am a little more concerned about the downside. And I'm usually the the bull in the room. So you know, for me to say that is I don't know. I mean, what the fuck do I know? But still, <laughs> I'm just letting you know how I'm thinking about this whole thing. Yeah, and and thanks for bringing that up because I think you're you're hitting on some good key points. I mean, we all thought as, you know, money was being pumped into the market, people were able to buy goods. We didn't really have inflation kind of in the back of our minds. Obviously, as more and more money is being pumped into the market, there's going to be some repercussions for that. But I think back like October, it really started to hit folks that, okay, what we're doing, what the Fed is doing is really going to have impacts on economies and not even just the Fed and the stimulus that they were pumping into the, the economy, but people were losing their jobs or they were not working as much because they didn't want to go into the office or they didn't want to go into work due to the pandemic. I think that a lot of that has impacted the market and economies and companies overall. Um, you know, you talked about the supply chain, but I think some of that is going to be alleviated through technology. I was actually reading an article on routers the other day about right. Palant. Uh, yeah, it was about Palantir uh, Technologies, which I own. I haven't been that happy with my stock position with Palantir over the course of 12 months or so. But I am a little bit hopeful after reading this article, and they're actually pairing up with Merck, actually, which is a uh, German semiconductor uh, company. And they're actually, yeah, going to be trying to use data analytics to find ways to solve this chip um, shortage. I, I thought that was kind of interesting as as more technology comes out to alleviate some of these issues, will things like inflation really be much of an issue and will it actually be transitory? So I think that as we see these impacts on the market, whether it's inflation or whether it's supply chain issues, I think that 
technology is ultimately going to come to the rescue per se uh, and try to alleviate some of these issues. Like for instance, you just take, you know, a simple mom and pop restaurant per se, you know, they're, they have a waiter staff and, you know, they're, you know, paying folks to wait on tables. Uh, But then, you know, the pandemic comes and maybe they can't get as many workers to come in to support their customer base or whatever, or maybe, you know, they're, they're switching more to delivery. Um, Just the fact of like the simple QR code now, instead of having five waiter staff to do that job, you can have one waiter essentially give everybody their food because everybody ordered it through a QR code. So there are definite ways in which technology, I think, can alleviate some of these issues. If I'm totally on board with all of this, and do I think that it's going to, this disruptive technology is going to hurt people? (laughs) I think that's true as well. But I think that we have to be forward thinking and realize that some of these technologies that are coming out can actually alleviate some of these issues. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's really interesting about the article you read with Palantir teaming up with, I think it was Merck, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, to alleviate the chip shortage issue, that that is interesting. That would definitely have a huge impact to a lot of industries, not just the computer semiconductor space, but all of the things that touches like the car. You know, I mean, I think the used car market has cooled off in uh, the recent months. It was hot because, you know, there was the chip shortage so they weren't rolling out new cars as quickly but i'm sure i think it's still a pretty big issue and alleviating that chip shortage issue could you know have a huge impact on the car market as well so yeah i mean i think you're right i think where there where there's a will there's usually a way so long as the issue isn't outside the scope of (laughs) what humans can actually affect but you know yeah I, i agree with you um, so I don't know, Nick, do you, do you have anything else to, to bring to this topic or do you think we should get into our, to our next segment? This segment is something I think we'll want to continue on. It's our financial ideas segment. Each podcast will do some research on different new financial ideas that we'll want to share with you all. And I think Nick, you had wanted to bring up the rule of 72 and the rule of three. Would you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about what each of those rules are and how you apply them into your overall strategies? Uh, Yeah, sure, John. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't get to talk about my favorite rule, the rule of 69, but I'll save that for (laughs) another podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so the rule of 72, some listeners might already be familiar with this. It's just a financial heuristic, something quick to reference when you're trying to figure out how long in terms of years it's going to take to double your money. So the rule of 72 says if you take the number 72 and then divide the average annual return that you have in your account or on a portfolio, it will tell you close to the average number of years it will take for you to double your money. So an example is if you have the number 72 and you divide it by 
an average annual return of 10%, so 72 divided by 10, you'll get the number 7.2. Meaning if you have an average return, annual return of 10%, it should take roughly 7.2 years to double your money. So if you're ever trying to figure out, you know, basically some, some people try to guess what percent return they can get through a gross portfolio versus a value portfolio versus maybe something proprietary. Once they determine a return that they either hope to achieve or think they can achieve, but you do want to know how long having that return is it going to take me to then double the money in my account. It's just a fun heuristic to reference when you're thinking about those things. The other rule that I want to talk about is the rule of three. Now, this is uh, a little more obscure. You won't find it even by Googling, probably. I found it through a book I read. And it's really a way to figure out with some certainty what is the chance of an event happening when you're uncertain that it's going to occur. And so to give you some background, the rule of three says that for uncertain situations with constant probabilities, meaning that the probability of situation B happening is the same as situation A happening, the 95% upper bound confidence interval, which just means you're very confident that this is probably true, the 95% upper bound of an occurrence rate is given by three over N where N is the number of observations. So for example, if we have not seen an event happen in 30 observations, we can have 95% certainty that in the next period, in the 31st period, so to speak, the chance of that event happening is three over 30 or 10%. So let me run that back real quick because that's a little confusing, I know. Let's say the Federal, the Federal Reserve has not raised interest rates over 30 time periods. So you take 30 Fed events, where Fed meetings, where they make decisions on interest rates. If over 30 times they have not raised interest rates, you could apply this rule by saying, okay, well, three divided by 30 is 10%. So there's a roughly speaking 10% chance that in the 31st period, so in the 31st meeting, there's a 10% chance that they will raise interest rates. I mean, is this a perfect rule? Certainly not. But I think it does help, especially for lay people like ourselves, when we're trying to gain some edge out of uncertain situations. Um, and yeah, that's the rule of three and the rule of 72. Thanks for introducing those, Nick. I will definitely be applying both of those rules in my future investment strategies. Just the rule of 72 is so powerful and it kind of gets into what I want to talk a little bit about with my uh, portion of the financial ideas segment, which is just overall estimating growth and where you see growth fitting into your stock portfolios. If you have a company that's 
a small market capitalization company. And when I say small market capitalization, I mean a company, I think it's less than $500 million in, in overall market cap. And then you have, say, a, a large market cap comp- company that's, you know, for instance, Tesla, which is over a trillion dollars. And seeing growth in your stock portfolios, you really want to think about how much your money can grow. And if you're looking at a smaller cap or medium cap company um, that, you know, is doing good, it has a really great mission, it has a growing market. And when I say growing market, I really want you to look at the demographics of the consumer base for that particular company, you know, looking at how many adults will consume that product. If you're looking at child populations, how much will that child population grow, uh, become, you know, an active consumer in that product? Look at gender. That's another important thing to look at. I don't think people oftentimes look at just overall demographics while they're doing their investment research. Because at the end of the day, whatever product it is, you're going to have to have a consumer. And the more you know of that consumer base, the more of a competitive edge you'll have. For instance, if you take um, like 5G, for instance, like a company like Verizon or whatever that is, is really getting into 5G and you're looking at, okay, where should I put my money into 5G? I'm looking at the U.S. or I'm looking at, you know, India, for instance. The U.S. is already a very highly technological country. Most of, most of the population has a smartphone. Most of the population has some form of communication device that can connect them. And we're probably already, when it comes to some of these higher tech industries like 5G, you know, the market share probably has already been taken up. However, if you're looking at other countries or you want to invest in other foreign markets, like, like I said, India or China, you know, these countries countries have not as developed technological societies where the population might not even have access to Internet. Uh, You know, over half the population might not even have access to Internet just due to that fact you know there's going to be a rise in in demand as the years go on and as more and more people get connected. So if you're thinking in the mindset of growth and where particular market trends can really rise, you should really, that's, that's kind of how your mind should be thinking is, okay, where is the consumer demand at right now? Where do you see them in the next one, two, five, 10 years? And I'm really focused on countries like China and India. Actually, in that um, article, that Barron's article that we had mentioned earlier, they mentioned a really good study that McKinsey and company had done. And in that study, they say that in 2030, China could be home to about 400 million households with upper, middle, and higher incomes. And that's roughly as many as Europe and the U.S. combined. So just that one statistic right there it's so telling in that these areas where things are developing you know they might not have kind of the infrastructures in place that can lead to you know much more rampant growth as like the u.s does but 
as they build that infrastructure and as more and more people get connected to the internet. And I, I just think that there's so much more demand in some of these other developing areas. So yeah, and we're, what I'm going to provide to our listeners for this, you know, one segment in our financial ideas is that looking to other markets where growth could just start to be ramping up. I think that's a really good place to start looking at and doing some more research on. I mean, obviously every company in India or every company in China is not going to succeed, but you can invest broadly in those markets. You know, I've been investing in this index. The ticker is CQQQ, and that just tracks roughly, you know, the top Chinese tech markets. I've been investing in that uh, in that index since probably 2017, and I'm still in the green on that. Obviously, there's been a lot of restrictions that China has been putting in place recently, and there's still a lot of risk. Even the fact that with this risk happening and the fact that I'm still in the green shows you that the demand is going to continue to increase and you'll have good returns, even if there is some instability in some of these areas. And don't just look at growth through the lens of other countries. You know, the U.S. has, you know, a really great deal of small cap companies that are just starting uh, up and coming. And there's a lot of new technologies that are up and coming. I would definitely recommend um, looking into quantum computing. I see that as being a very massive field that's going to be growing in the future. Um, you've, Elon Musk the other day tweeted about Web3. And essentially what Web3 is, is that it's, it's an internet that's going to be connected basically on the platform of blockchain. Um, so a more decentralized internet. I mean, we don't know if Web3 is going to kick off, but I definitely see that is where society might be going. It might not happen, but it might. And if you're putting a little bit of your, of your eggs in that smaller Web3 blockchain basket, I think you can really have it grow. And like what Nick was saying on the on the first episode of our podcast, making sure that you're only putting a certain portion of your portfolio into some of these more, you know, niche or more up and coming fields, I think is a good idea. But like limit yourself, though, don't like put all your eggs in one basket, maybe put a portion of your portfolio. Basically, I, I always kind of use the metaphor of, of fishing putting a little bit of bait out there, seeing kind of what bites it gives you. And if you start to get more and more bites, then, you know, maybe you put a little bit more in there and you can see it grow. And, and then once you get more and more, maybe you just stop and you just kind of let that stock or index kind of do the work for you. Um, so I see, I see there's so much opportunity for growing markets. My old friend, Jim Cramer, as much as I, I despise that man, um, he always says there's a bull market anywhere. And I, I, I as, like I said, as much as I despise him, I, I truly think that that saying holds true. Um, you know, if you just do your research and see where there's new technology, new uh, trends, you're always going to have an opportunity, a good opportunity for investing your money. So that's pretty much all I had to discuss on that on that uh, piece for the financial ideas segment. Um, and I don't know, Nick, 
maybe we could just end off with a little bit of a back and forth discussion on kind of what we've talked about on this podcast. Like I said, I really liked your ideas of the rule of 72 in the rule of three. I will be applying those. You know, just the fact that if you have a occurrence that's been happening over and over and over again, using kind of metrics to indicate, okay, where the next thing is going to be, I think is very powerful. And maybe putting pen to paper and seeing kind of your own portfolio and how some of these rules can apply. I think that's a really great way to maybe get started in, in applying some of these rules. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, there, there's many ways that rule, the rule of three can apply. It's really just, you, you try to apply it to uncertain situations and situations that pretty much occur over and over and over. So you want to you want to kind of apply it to similar situations. You don't want to use it between five instances that are different from each other. You know, you want to take relatively similar situations and apply the rule of three to those. Mm-hmm. Um, as well, you know, you're talking a lot about growth, John. I want to keep listeners, it, you know, keep it in their minds that it can be difficult to grow a portfolio at like an exponential pace. If you're too heavily weighted in large cap names, you know, companies that are already so large that them becoming even larger or growing another 50%, 100% in terms of revenue or stock price, it's not easy. So I guess the only thing I really want to lean into in closing on our on this little last part of our segment is the idea of looking for small cap or mid cap companies um, when i say small cap mid cap i'm talking about market capitalization or the basically what the company is worth and i'll probably talk more with john in another podcast about this idea but i did read a book called 100 baggers and the brief idea I'll give you about that is the book talks about this study that was performed on stocks that returned a hundred dollars for every dollar invested, hence the name hundred baggers. And they did a study and looking at the hundred baggers over the last 50 years of the 365 names studied the median sales figure was 170 million for those companies and the median market cap was 500 million so you're not talking about huge companies that over time tend to be the big winners you're and you're also not talking about penny stocks you're talking about companies that have been established that have some sort of a moat which john has talked about before an economic moat um, I think of like companies that make cat litter are a good example. There's only a handful of companies <laughs> that make cat litter. It's true. I mean, look, look, and I, I believe you can invest in some of those actually. Um, I don't know the names off the top of my head, but I remember hearing about, uh, cat litter companies for some reason, one time related to small cap stocks, but you know, yeah. So when you're trying to do research for the long term in terms of companies to invest in looking for high growth, you know, 
leaning into the idea of using demographics. Um, you know, in the United in the United States, a quick way I would think to apply all of this is we have an aging population. You know, the baby boomers are getting older. They're going to start going on Medicare and Medicaid, um, or, or a, a great majority of them who haven't already gone on those services uh, will be in a couple years. So, what does that mean for healthcare? You know, and what are some companies that are maybe small cap or mid cap healthcare companies? that could benefit, that have already benefited and have even more room for growth. That's just a quick way I would think to apply all of this in kind of a neat package. Now I'm going to do my research on healthcare industries and where, <laughs> and, and small cap and mid cap companies that could potentially give me a, a great return in the future. So thank you for that stock tip. <laughs> well, you, you, you do your research, John, and, and you get back to me. <laughs> See, that's the secret, everyone. Delegation, delegation, delegation. Definitely. You know, use use other people. <laughs> use other people. Use your friends. Use group. your family. Use everyone. They use you. You use them. <laughs> Definitely. And, and another important, important part you mentioned there, it's like the whole cat litter. And I think that's another thing that I don't usually tend to think about is you know, we, I, I like to get into the, the whole like exciting fields, but the overall goal of investing is growing your money. And if that is the overall goal, then cool and exciting fields is not always where you need to like, you know, focus your, your research. Um, obviously there, there are some really great opportunities in those fields. Um, but you know, some of the boring, more boring stocks out there also have really high opportunities for growth. And, you know, if you can find those competitive either companies or just overall sectors in general, I think you can really get some some good growth. Um, you know, for instance, I was I've been looking at some of these mortgage companies, you know, although they might not have the most the, the highest growth, they do provide a lot of opportunities for high dividends and if anything, I want to promote to this this listener base is do not sleep on dividends, even though like mm. the stock has gone down. The stock is is probably around the price that I bought it at. Um, however, I'm still like in the positive, you know, uh, 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 like over at least probably like I, I've only invested maybe like a hundred or two hundred dollars in it, and I'm still in the positive by like twenty dollars. I mean, could you, you you extrapolate that and think about if I invested $1,000 into it, although the market price or the stock price would not have grown, I probably still could have a good amount of money in my portfolio from that. So if anything, I'd tell my listener base, you know, while the new and exciting growth opportunities can present really good ways to grow your money don't just solely focus on that think about some of the more boring ways you can get invested in into things because i think that we often don't see the the competitive edge and i think that in and of itself provides a competitive edge um so well i'll tell you what i think our next segment could easily on the next podcast be maybe a debate over dividend versus non-dividend stocks because um you know, based on my research, John, I, I'm not a huge fan of dividend stocks, but I understand the people that are huge fans. So that's a that could be an interesting debate there. Yep, sounds good, man. 
Okay, well, um, do you want to wrap this this show up and uh, get us on the on the road to starting off our Saturdays and uh, doing something else? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think today I'm gonna gonna play some music, gonna go out and get get some fresh air, and. That's about it. What about you, John? How are you going to wrap up the rest of your day? I'm going to probably work a little bit. I know it sucks. But, hey, I'm glad that we started off today doing this because this has been really an insightful conversation. And I'm glad uh, we could have it and share it with, you know, our listeners. Um, I'm probably going to, after I'm done working, I'm actually probably going to um, go to one of our friends later to see about recording a um, a better uh, intro and outro song for this podcast. So, um, yeah, probably going to be doing that later, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, we All get right. some good 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 uh, audio for y'all. Okay. Well, if that's it, time to wrap it up. Mm-hmm.